Welcome back to Dark Dish Radio. Welcome back. <laughs> we are we are backwards tonight. I am hosting the show for the first time. So basically, <sighs> folks, we're all screwed. No. I'm just going to warm up by this campfire here. Oh, is that what's going on again? I assume so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the campfires are a lovely, lovely thought on a dark and creepy story night. Yes. Yes. Anyway, okay, um, our <laughs> tonight's case. <laughs> Jenna's had a rough day. So I'm not going to go into details. But wow. I'm yeah, I'm at the home. Um, so tonight's case, we're going to get right into it, is the unsolved 1949 disappearance of four-year-old Ricky Jean Bryant. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you don't know a whole lot about this, do you? I know next to nothing. You sound like you're drunk. <laughs> I wish that I were. No, I am not. I am not, I am not inebriated, inebriated. Well, I can't say inebriated, so maybe I am. <laughs> okay. All right. So Ricky Jean, or Jeannie, as she was called, was born on November 9th, 1945, to Opal and Raymond Bryant, who lived in the quaint little Midwestern town of Mauston, Wisconsin. Jeannie had three siblings, Sharon, who was nine years old, brother Forrest, five, and Liz, who was just shy of two. On December 19th of that year, Raymond and Opal were at their respective workplaces. The three youngest children, including Jeannie, were in the care of the maternal grandparents, Helen and Casper Halverson. The Halversons lived in a farmhouse roughly three miles outside of Mauston. Now, Grandpa Casper was handicapped, and on that day, he was resting in bed on the second floor of the farmhouse. Grandma Helen was watching over the kids as she went about her normal household chores. At 3 p.m., a fire broke out inside the home. What happened next has been scrutinized for decades, as there are three differing accounts as to what actually occurred. However, even though Brother Forrest was only five at the time, his account has always been considered as the most plausible. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big old mystery here in old Wisconsin. Oh. Okay, so the fire breaks out at 3 p.m. in the grandparents' home, and afterwards, when Forrest was being questioned as to what happened, he tells the police that when Grandma Helen first noticed the flames, she ushered him and his two sisters, Liz and Jeannie, outdoors. He went on to say that she told them to stay put, while she went back inside to rescue their grandfather, who, again, he's just kicking back in bed on the second floor. Uh, Forrest stated then that after a few minutes, he sees a fancy car pulling up to the house with only a tall, blonde-haired woman inside. She exits the vehicle, points to a house off in the distance, and tells Forrest to run there to get help. Instead of going to a much closer neighbor's home, Because as he recalls, she said, that house's phone is not working. Okay. How would she know this? I don't know. That's the mystery here. Hmm. 
Um, so he does as he's told. He runs off to the far off neighbor's home and returns with homeowner Irene Carlson. As they approach the scene, they find that the blonde woman, the fancy car, and little Jeannie have all disappeared. According to Grandma Helen, she said that after noticing the fire, she only took Forrest and Liz outside and not Jeannie. However, she's insisted she ran back inside to search for her. She said she ran room to room, screaming out Jeannie's name, but it was fruitless. Jeannie was mysteriously gone. Grandma then stated that after her unproductive search for the little girl, she runs back outside, puts a ladder up against the house, climbs up two stories, enters the second story window, and helps Grandpa out of bed and down the ladder to safety. Wow. Now, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm middle-aged, and I couldn't do that. Well, I am just a spring chicken, and uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, I, yeah, I don't know that I, I was just thinking that. I mean, that's pretty brawny to be carrying Grandpa down. <laughs> right. Did she the throw him over? Yeah, she hoist him over her shoulder. I mean, what? Wow, what like doing? a sack of peeling potatoes. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, who knows? I, I've never heard it put that way. Yeah, well. That must have been maybe what they called them back then. Okay, the third account is from Irene Carlson. She states that after Forrest showed up, they wasted no time getting back to the burning farmstead. But what she found looked completely sus because only two-year-old Liz was in the front lawn and Jeannie was nowhere in sight. So at this point, to keep Forrest and Liz safe, Mrs. Carlson places them into their grandparents' car. She runs into the blazing home and finds Grandma Helen in the kitchen collecting her canned goods. Mm. This is a strange... These are strange accounts. I, I could see a five-year-old having a skewed memory of things. But the fact that two different adults would have such a str- different, you know, set of circumstances, mm-hmm. I, that, that doesn't quite add up. Okay, so now overwrought with fear, Mrs. Carlson questions Helen about the whereabouts of little Jeannie. And Helen replies with, Jeannie is gone while she's collecting her canned goods. Now, that's the other thing. I couldn't find anything about how quickly the fire spread, how quickly the house was trashed um, and turned to ash. Yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, is it like a Hollywood movie where there's flames all around them and they're just collecting canned goods? That's Um, what I'm I'm imagining, like this towering inferno behind grandma and she's got her apron out and she's, (laughs) you know, dumping a shit ton of canned goods. And it's like, grandma, you are a flame. You are a flame. And she's like, I mean, that seems just. I don't know. Yeah, it gets better. So okay. uh, Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Carlson, I'm sorry. Mrs. Carlson then begins her own frenzy search. So she's in a panic, looking everywhere, going room to room. All the while, the house is crumbling around them. <laughs> and she's stopped abruptly by none other than Grandma Helen, who begins scolding her, saying, stop looking for Jeannie and help me find my expensive fur coat. Okay. Uh, so we've I gone f- from we've gone yeah. from tomatoes. 
to first. To mink. <laughs> from, yeah, from to mink. And I, I gotta say right now, I'm, I'm team grandma account so far, personally. What? Yeah, I think grandma's account makes more sense. I gotta say. Because five-year-olds can't be trusted. I know. You know. We've had them. Our children are no longer five, but we know you can't listen to anything they say. And as are you being serious? Unless you give them candy. Oh, yes. And then or baked goods, baked goods, perhaps. (laughs) I don't know about the neighbor, because doesn't that seem kind of I mean, was was this family not known to be close? Did they just not like the baby? I mean, why would they why would the grandmother say that? Don't look for her. She can fend for herself amidst the flames. I think her interpret I mean, her, I shouldn't say interpretation, but I think her story makes more sense to me thus far. But look, can you continue? I'm, yeah, I, I was going to say, hold on a second. <laughs> so at this point, the fire is now way out of control and they have to abandon the home. Outside, Grandma Helen notices that Mrs. Carlson is still afraid and fretting over the missing girl's whereabouts. So Helen tells Mrs. Carlson to stop worrying because Jeannie is staying with relatives. Oh. Yeah. No, but maybe Mrs. Carlson had Jeannie the whole time. (laughs) Because when Forrest run, Forrest run, he ran. Right. Gets the neighbor. She's like, yes, I have. I have wanted this child all to myself for all these many years i'm without children maybe she was we don't know maybe you know she is wasn't but in any event and what if she has the baby i mean did they ever investigate her no i don't think so that's interesting you're actually Mm. opening my eyes to an entire different scenario cold case solved cold case no so what happens next the fire department arrives and one firefighter would eventually go on to say that he heard screams coming from the blaze at that time but nothing ever came of it that you know that's something i would probably want to cover over and over again now fire Mm. can make very strange noises you know even campfire Hmm. oddly Mm -hmm. yes why don't you throw a scream in there, actually? Because <laughs> I mean, burning logs will scream. You know, they make a hissing noise. It's basically moot because nobody followed back up on that. Once the fire is out, volunteers search through the rubble and discover bone fragments that they felt looked human in nature. However, lab results would eventually say otherwise. Interestingly, nine-year-old Sharon remembers her mother picking her up from school that day and telling her that Ricky Jean was now an angel and to never utter her name again. Okay. <laughs> so now Raymond, the children's father, would sift for weeks on end through the charred wreckage of the house. And of course, nothing was found. He would state until his dying day that he did not believe that Jeannie died on that December day. Ten mm-hmm. years later... Uh, he and Opal would divorce. Now, Opal would soon move to Washington State, taking only the youngest Elizabeth along with her, telling Forrest and Sharon upon her departure that she was leaving them with their father because they, quote, acted too much like him. Every now and again, though, Opal would return for brief visits with them. She'd pick them up, head to Minnesota, and eventually drop them off at one of her friends' homes, 
only to disappear for days at a time. And as far as I've been able to find, no one did find out just where she had gone to during those days. When the three remaining children reached adulthood, they began kind of comparing notes as to what happened that day. All three vividly remembered their mother telling them to never again mention Jeannie's name. And all three recalled the last time their mother said it. Six days after the fire, while placing the star atop the Christmas tree, they heard their mother mutter under her breath for little Ricky Jean, now an angel in heaven, even though a body had never been recovered. There has never been a death certificate issued for Ricky Jean, nor was there a memorial held for her. Oddly, though, Opal did go to Iowa and had a tombstone erected for Jeannie near her father's grave. And she insisted that the remaining siblings go to say goodbye. However, they just could not emotionally handle it. It's weird because there's a tombstone there and you can see it and there's nobody underneath it. I wonder if the mother didn't just say, I can't take care of this baby anymore. I'm going to arrange for this woman to come take the baby. This fire is a good distraction. I mean, why would the no mother I know worth her, you know, worth anything would just automatically assume, yeah, the baby's gone. Baby's passed away. Yeah. Unless she was in on it. That just seems very. mm. Yeah. It's, it's weird all the way around because was she mourning the loss of her and what loss was it? You know what I mean? Well, what loss was it? Or conversely, did she know this? She was in on it, but she had to appear. She had to make it appear as though there were no chance that they would ever find her again. So let's just pretend she's dead. Interesting. Yeah. She's dead. Yeah. So there's nothing to look for. She, it's done deal. She's dead. And the kids, you know, and then to tell the kids it's verboten. You can't ever mention this again. You know, that's I don't know. It's weird. Okay, so another thing that stood out to the adult children was that the family, including Grandma and Grandpa Halverson, never had any money. And they had no insurance on the farmstead that was lost. But thinking back on things, all three agreed that after the fire, their mother and grandmother seemed to have enough money to live quite comfortably. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. So in 2005, the case was officially reopened But the siblings learned that records from that time were lost in a flood in 2000. The NCMEC also published computerized photographs of what Jeannie might look like throughout the years. The photos, as well as this information on Jeannie's case, can be found at thecharlieproject.org, and that link can be found in our description below. In 2018, the remaining kids would meet with a second cousin of their mother's named Lois. Lois mentioned that she and their mother were very close while growing up and that after the fire, Opal told her, keep looking and they'll be surprised at what they find. What the- <laughs> This family is, I, I can't even find, this is a circus. Creepy, creepy stuff. So when they sat down to thumb through old scrapbooks and family albums, Lois recognized a man from that time that their mother had had a relationship with. And interestingly, this was also while she was married to their father, Raymond. So at that point, 
they're thinking that maybe Jeannie had been the product of an affair between Opal and the man that Cousin Lois had described. Mm. And that Raymond, their father, was not Jeannie's biological parents. The man that Lois recognized from the scrapbooks also had a daughter around Jeannie's age. However, they were able to obtain DNA and results showed that the woman in question was not Jeannie after all. Oh, okay. So the siblings all felt that they would eventually find out what happened to their sister. When Elizabeth, the youngest, was interviewed by a local newspaper, she said, you just don't lose a life. I still feel in my heart that we're going to find her before we die. However, sadly, that did not happen as Forrest passed away in 2017 and Sharon in 2020. I do not and could not find anything on Elizabeth. I, I don't know if she's passed. You know, that Aww. was... Mm-hmm. So that is the story of Ricky Jean Bryant. And I just feel like it's some of these old, old cases. I feel like that they can get out there enough and get the word passed around. And, um, and you and I have talked often about genetic genealogy, forensic genealogy, and it's possible. I suppose that's possible if these people, if these kids had had kids of their own and they were to submit the data into a large database such as Ancestry.com, you know, that's how they mm-hmm. discover a lot of these stories. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And it is odd that the grandparents didn't have money. Suddenly they have money. Uh, I mean, really, every aspect of the story is odd. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and it just happened at a little tiny city in Wisconsin. Just a little unassuming town. Well, and that could be why it's another reason why it's cold. Because let's face it, these small, you know, farming towns, rural towns, country towns, what have you, they don't they don't get the attention that the big cities do, the urban areas. Right. Yeah. But I think back then that was pretty big news. But everybody thought they would find her. Yeah. So anyway, that's well, it. This is a very short show. Well, but it's, as you said, that's a good uh, segue into other shows of its ilk where there is this, you know, decades old cold case that it seems like it dies with the family members. But as you said, with today's technology, that's not necessarily true. No, no, there's uh, there's possibilities out there that hopefully that cases like this will get solved. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us on this very short episode of Dark Dish Radio. 